Let us pray together. God of grace and God of glory, grant us wisdom. Grant us courage for the living of these days, for the living of these days. And all God's people said, amen. So recently I've been having a series of in-depth conversations meeting with quite a few of you one-on-one out here in the courtyard and down in Musser Park, which I've started calling my second office. I think it's a pretty nice office. How about you? And what have I been hearing from you? Well, I've been hearing that for many of us, this pandemic that many of us in this pandemic have a serious case of decision fatigue right now. Anybody have decision fatigue? Every day deciding whether to mask or not to mask, whether to meet or not to meet, whether to go to Central Market or not to go to Central Market, and yes, even whether to come here to church or not. And on top of this, think about it, our parents, face an even greater exponential number of decisions all the time because they are the deciders not just for themselves but for one or two or even three other little people as well. And then add to this the completely, add to this the reality of being overwhelmed by, as Becky said, the onslaught of news every day about disasters in Haiti and Afghanistan, extreme weather events. It's a lot, isn't it? And if you're anything like me, it makes you just want to stick your head in the sand. Does anyone want to do that? Just stick your head in the sand and go on another pandemic binge on Netflix. I confess I've done a few of those. How about you? I guess I'm the only one. I guess I'm the only one. I'm hearing a bit of an echo here. But friends, I believe we all pulled ourselves out of bed this morning for a reason. Because we long to be part of a bigger picture, something bigger, a faith community that is seeking to follow Jesus faithfully and wisely together. Amen? Something that we can't do on our own. A community that is praying to God, just as we sang earlier, grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of these days. So I want to start with you this morning by asking ourselves, what exactly is wisdom? (laughs) I think that's going to get a little old. (laughs) Let's just say we did it. (laughs) Uh, Who are the wise people in your lives? Just think about that for a moment. Who are the wise ones? Not the wise guys. 
the wise ones. And when you experience wisdom in someone else around you, how does it feel? What does it sound like? What do you experience? I find it very helpful to think of wisdom as coming in two parts. First, wisdom helps us to see the world clearly as it really is, as Betsy said, as like an owl. And then second, wisdom helps us to know how to live skillfully and well and justly in response. So it's the ability to see and then to live accordingly. If we don't see, we're not going to live well. And notice, my friends, that wisdom has very little to do with having a PhD or knowing a ton of facts or information. Instead, wisdom is what helps each of us to live our daily lives skillfully in our parenting or our mentoring, in our handling of our money, of our conducting of our sexuality, of our taking care of our bodies and of our souls, in our relating well with one another wisely. And in Proverbs today, we learn that wisdom begins, did you hear it in verse 29, with the fear of the Lord. A phrase that, by the way, does not mean terror of God, but reverence and devotion and awe before and with God. In other words, wisdom begins with a relationship of deep reverence, devotion, and awe with God. And throughout Proverbs, wisdom, God's wisdom, is described as a woman. Did you hear that? A woman who has dwelled with God since the very beginning of time, of creation. Who has an active hand in history. Who cries out for justice, as Pastor Don shared with us last week who bids us to come feast at her table and who calls out for us to follow her on her path. In Hebrew, her name is Chochmah. You want to say that with me? Chochmah. And in Greek, her name is Sophia. Her name is Sophia. Now, some of you may be feeling a little bit surprised to hear God described in this way. And if so, this is because for centuries, the church has failed to expose us to the broad range of rich imagery for God in the Bible. Highlighting all the male images like king, and father, and neglecting all the female ones. As Mindy Nolte, 
a former chestnutter and now pastor at Blossom Hill, sings in one of her songs, Sophia, where have you been all these years? We might have spared ourselves some tears. The Bible's 30-some images for God help us to more fully contemplate who God really and actually is. And personally, I find some of them especially precious. Deuteronomy 33 talks about the God who has given us birth. Numbers 11, the God who carries us on her bosom. Isaiah 46, the God who, like a mother, wills the well-being of the children of her womb. Hosea 13, the God who can sometimes become as fierce as a mother bear. Matthew 23, or as protective as a mother hen. Now, intriguingly, Jesus closely identifies himself with the Sophia of God. Talking about himself, he says that when wisdom is vindicated by her deeds, (laughs) her deeds, notice how he switches genders on us here. And so two weeks from now, we'll be unpacking that further as we look at God's wisdom through the lens of the life of Jesus. Friends, here at East Chestnut Street, we want to be a church where all of us, children and youth and adults, are growing in the wisdom of God. And we know that no set of rules will ever be able to prepare us for all the complicated choices and decisions that we face here in 2021. As a matter of fact, as times passes, I've often found myself much more interested in finding a good set of rules than instead finding a good set of questions to carry with me through life. And so when facing a difficult situation, let me share some questions that I often ask. One, the first, what does the love of God require? Do you know where I got that one? (laughs) From Betty Fry's wonderful memoir. What does God's love require, Betty asked. A second question. What is just and right and good in this situation? What's the right thing to do? And third, what would Jesus do? And sometimes asking what Jesus would do seems a little abstract, and so sometimes I've noticed here in our congregation, you insert the name of 
a wise and Christ-like person from our congregation and ask that question in a slightly different way. I've heard some of you ask, what would Nancy Martin do? And I've been at several meetings where people have asked, what would Marcus Swooker do here? So friends, whose name, Christ-like and wise, might you insert in that blank in our sermon title today? Because by modeling and following the example of a Christ-like person, we will invariably discover a path of wisdom opening up before us. Here's something else I've been pondering lately. How wisdom and perfection are not at all the same thing. Amen? In fact, those who are the most wise often have made some of the biggest mistakes in life. But here's the key. They have welcomed God's grace through these painful experiences to come help them to grow and learn and deepen in their faith. I hope you hear the wonderful, incredible good news here. The doorway to wisdom can sometimes be a terrible mistake. In fact, how would we ever learn to be compassionate or to be humble or to be Christ-like without the help of our brokenness? By God's grace, we can grow in wisdom under the tutelage of our wounds. Under the tutelage of our wounds. And friends, this is exactly what one of our congregation's work groups has been working on so hard lately. Did you know that the group that is going to be sharing with us at the congregational meeting today has met over 20 times? How many times have you met? Is it 23, 24? And at today's congregational meeting, they'll be recommending some new and better ways for us to be able to work together through the inevitable differences and disagreements that we will face in the years to come. They're wanting to help us to learn from our recent mistakes and failures and to avoid making them again. So let me close now with a story that I believe powerfully illustrates the wisdom that comes to us from above from God. In Ann Tyler's novel, Saint Maybe, we meet a storefront preacher who is the pastor of the Church of the Second Chance. Don't you love that? I think we should change our church's name to East, I don't know how you do it, but the Church of the Second Chance. 
Now, this preacher, every Sunday, rails against the evils of alcohol, and his flock follows a very, very strict, absolutely no alcohol rule. But then, one Sunday, he shares a story that stuns his flock. Last week, he tells them, I visited an older man whose wife had recently died. He was not a member of our church, and he'd only visited us a very few times. After I sat down at his house, I was shocked when he right away brought out a bottle of wine. Reverend, he told me, today, today, today is our 50th anniversary. And my wife and I had always promised that today we would open this bottle together from our wedding reception 50 years ago. I'm so happy that you're with me today, and I hope very much that you would share a glass with me. Remember our questions. What does love require? What is good and just and right? What would Jesus or some Christ-like friend do here? So the preacher now says to his flock, well, I had a glass. Because I suddenly realized that refusing this grieving man's request would have been just plain wrong. And later on, when I left him, I had a brief desire for some mouthwash in case I met one of you on my way home. But then I thought, no, 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 this is between me and God. And so I walked home through the streets, joyfully exhaling fumes of alcohol. As Jesus once said, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Amen.